0: Hello. This is poetry reading number two, from the podcast called Blood and Rain. I'm your host, Arthur Dane. The spooks all bought their hats from the same hatter. No one seemed to mind he's the same guy. In Virginia, his name was John, as mid-Atlantic as it gets. In the luxury shop of the Kremlin, his name was Vasily. Neither side seemed to know that he's the greatest spy of them all. He has one hell of a logistical setup being everywhere all at once. He may or may not be the same guy, and he may or may not be a spy for the other side. Regardless, it doesn't matter. To the Soviet and state side, spooks alike, every man around them was the same. In each and every one of their minds, all the men surrounding them had all become agents and assassins of a standard, double, and triple kind. All the scenarios have been played out, multiplied by the number of men in the room of that given time. A sea of cancelling decisions flowing across a multitude of men's minds. It comes down to the numbers, really. Even pairs or lone odd numbers of decisions tell most whether an individual is with or against the cause. You kept track of what that cause actually was, and all the while the number crunchers slammed the keys of their 24-megabyte quote-unquote supercomputers concerned with finding the number 1 or the number zero. Paths lead to other paths of an endless kind or lead to nowhere at all. Words held no meaning or could topple a third world country. Not even the speaker knew the difference. Codes of honor and codes of encryption some were convinced they were the same. No man knew where he stood. Is a man then still a man? Perhaps some men liked it that way. Or some men like it hot, and some men like it cold. Both sides like their wars cooked the same way. Some men let their blood boil on open battlefields, and some men want to play a game of chess that seemingly never ends. A game of chess that's played in circles in which the only way to win is to make the opponent believe you've lost. shell the winner indeed. That was... Poem number 8 from Blood and Rain Books, titled The Cold War Shells of Men. I was having a conversation with a co-worker of mine, a very talented visual artist, Uh, he underrates himself as a writer as well, the writing sort of constantly supporting and assisting his visual art, who also has ambitions in filmmaking and creating comic books, so on and so forth. Very talented individual and we sort of exchanged notes about the creative process that we have and he asked me about mine because uh, I finally shared this poem with him and I said I noticed I had two creative processes there's sort of one where I think any of you who listen to this podcast and any of you who reads the writing notice is probably the more dominant one which is a sort of visceral bleeding it's, this is what I'm viscerally picking up, not necessarily feeling, because sometimes feelings are fluttery, they fade. It's more expressing the core essence of what's being. And as Hemingway would say, bleeding that at the typewriter. Writing is easy, all you need to do is sit at the typewriter and bleed. Then there's something else. Something completely the opposite, where... And I'll give you some background on this, and maybe this will connect better to so some of the background that I went to, and maybe the thought process, so on and so forth. When I was auditioning for acting schools in London, and I, I picked one that I got into, I um, the one that I settled on. He had a coach during the audition process. He said, I've noticed there's two kinds of actors. There are the people who are absolutely transformative, they become something completely foreign to themselves. And then there are the actors like myself who just amplify what is natural and color it in a certain given direction. I'm very impressed by these people who can transform, but I'm not able. Um, and that really stuck with me. And I think that maybe affected my writing process. So, and then to, to build on this sort of transformative transformative process. There's a playwright that we studied in Brahma school called Berthoff Brecht. And Brecht had this concept called strange making, where I may be butchering it because it's been some time, but the gist of it is you put something so completely foreign on stage to the audience, like the audience has no stake. Something that they have pretty much zero idea. And you do a play about it. And since no one has any stake, you're completely externalized from it. You're completely watching this thing play out without any preconceived notions or opinions because it's it's a course of events that you have no idea about. For example, there's a play called Mother Courage, which I believe, don't, don't quote me on this, is about the Thirty Years' War, yeah, the Thirty Years' War, um, between a number of different European entities on one side, you had the Kingdom of Bohemia, Sweden, Savoy, Transylvania, Denmark, Saxony, and the other side, uh, the Spanish Empire, the Habsburg Monarchy, uh, with Bavaria on their side as well. So you have this conflict that the audience watching the play uh, in Germany in the 19, late 1930s uh, also performed in the London stage post-World War II quite a bit. They're watching this conflict that doesn't have any emotional standpoint, so they're completely external from it. So they're just watching the actual development of characters. It's about the characters only. Um, And they can truly watch that from a detached standpoint. So, the other process of creation, when it comes to creating poetry, um, or just writing simple posts on the Instagram, or writing a novel, is to take something that is so not necessarily so foreign to me, but I don't have any stake in. and going through sort of the actor's process of moving myself over, transforming towards that essence, doing listening to what music I need to listen to, reading what I need to read, Watching what I need to watch to sort of capture that essence that is far away from myself. So it's essentially the writer's version of actor's transformation. Um, I did this with Cold War. That's why the poem is titled The Cold War Shells of Men. You now, my father was a Cold Warrior, as he'd call it. Uh, my father narrowly escaped communist Cuba. And so, my, yeah, my father, he's, he comes from uh, Canarian blood, the Canary Islands, and they had moved to Cuba, their, their branch, part of the family. They moved to Cuba two years before Castro took over. So they narrowly escaped communist Cuba, went to Venezuela, and then landed in New York City, where my father grew up. And he grew up, you know, at the height of, he actually got to the country in 63, the day Kennedy was shot. Um... You know, throughout the sixties, seventies, the Vietnam War conflict in Afghanistan in nineteen eighty, and then uh, the ongoing negotiations between Reagan and Gorbachev in the nineteen eighties. And I was always kind of fascinated with the Cold War, um, it being sort of like this long, drawn out cold conflict. There's no no real. You no know, real getting violent. is always a threat of violence. was always having to be on call at all times, um, and you you sort of watch documentaries about the formation of the CIA, uh, the craftiness of the KGB, um, sort of proxy entities like in East Germany with the Stasi, uh, who are apparently more effective spies than the KGB, and it. it Started to paint a pretty fascinating picture for me. Um, I will cite there's a phenomenal mini-series called The Company uh, that came out in 2007. Um, you might be able to find the stream somewhere or someone may download it. It's not on any streaming service. Last time I checked, but it's very, very good. It's like a three-part miniseries. Uh, also, watching films like um, Not the, you know, the Good German, uh, The Good Shepherd, um, paints a pretty fascinating picture of this sort of intelligence war and this Cold War. And I was born after the Cold War ended, Um, so obviously I grew up more during the War on Terror, uh, quote unquote. Um, But I was fascinated by this Cold War, and I started to think more and more of the way these men sort of operated, these men of intelligence. When I say intelligence, I mean three letter agencies for three three character alpha numeric agencies, you know, not to leave out MI six in the U K. In the way they battled behind closed doors without the the public really knowing, it's not like you read a newspaper and you see big intelligence battle one today against the K G B as if it was World War Two and you're saying that the Allies are finally marching in on Berlin. Oh, it's, it's something that go happens behind closed doors. Not everyone has all the information um, when you see the sort of power structures of you know, the NSA and the CIA, certain divisions might know something. Someone really high up might know something, but someone below them on a different tier might know something that they know. And you, there's all these precautions taken to prevent double agents. Um, so uh, that, that was interesting to me because you have this, gosh, so... In, you know, World War II, 1945 to 1991, what is that? That's about 46 years of a conflict, of constantly being on edge, of constantly trying to get a quiet one-up on the other side, where the other side knows you have the one-up, but they can't really do much about it because they can't quite prove it out in the public. And I started to think what what the lives of these men is probably like. They're constantly looking around. They must be thinking this man might be a double agent. Or that might, man might be a triple agent. There are tons of words being thrown out to people that are false. There are tons of words being thrown out to people who are tr- that are true. There's a ton of countries at play. Um, various South American dictatorships having uh, being destroyed undercover and having democracy installed accordingly and you know you had Cuba install communism Vietnam became communist and we fought a pretty hairy war over that same thing less less so hairy more quiet to be honest with the Korean War as they call it the forgotten war and each and every man must not trust anybody it gets to a point where men stop looking at each other as men. Everyone's trying to outmaneuver everyone, and half the time you don't even know who the enemy is, because you have no idea who you can trust. So people are constantly lying, and it's almost like lies become the truth. Words that mean nothing could also be words that topple a third world country, and the current regime or government system in place there. It's a fascinating dynamic. It's, for those of you who enjoy countering bait-and-switch tactics, and constantly playing chess, and constantly maneuvering, and constantly reassessing, and constantly having a poker face, and never really saying what you think, or saying what you think in a context to the point where people think you were just speaking nonsense, but you're actually speaking the truth. It opens this question of can man be in alignment with himself when he does that? Is the alignment exempt from the words he speaks that are falsehood on the surface or truth within? Can a man shield himself enough so he has stayed in alignment with himself while correctly performing his duties of intelligence and keeping a country safe or keeping the interests of a certain entity within a country safe. Sometimes the enemy is within your own country. The United States currently certainly knows how to be at war with itself. For the Soviet Union, I would imagine less so, but I could understand if there were certain aspects of that. I could see that in England. It's an open question. Is man then still a man? And I think some men can still be men like that. I think there are the men who truly need to live out loud and say what they need to say at all times and live and die by their sword, their pen, their brush for better or for worse. Some men are strong enough to do that, they just have a pure raw brute strength. But some men are also in a situation where maybe It's not more available, but they're in a situation that calls for that kind of living out loud where it makes sense. Not every situation makes sense to live out loud and boldly like that. A lot of the times, the indirect path is the most direct path because if you can maneuver through a bunch of snares and barbed wire from the enemy's side, and deliver the kill shot when it matters. And It's almost a circumstance of he who laughs last, laughs best. So I think some people, some men really do enjoy this sort of world of countering, this world of delayed decisions, this world of constantly playing chess, this world of deception to eventually reach the truth again. Some, many people will use deception in one direction to plant a seed in one's mind so they eventually get to the truth. And I think Cold War was certainly a landscape, a given circumstance, a long-lasting occurrence where this was certainly the case. I don't think every man can handle that, though. It's important to know what kind of man you are, though. You can see the same extension in the ring. Pressure fighters. Guys with heavy hands who constantly march forward. For better or for worse, they may lose. But they'll live and die by that. The counter-strikers. They're chess players. It's important to start thinking what kind of man you are in this A or B dynamic. I hope you enjoyed the poem, folks. Blood and Rain Books is something that has taken me a bit of time to get off the ground, around the time that I wanted to launch it. I was coming on the tail end of a big transition in my life. I was starting to get the effects of long-term sleep deprivation from having to work seven days a week with two all-nighters a week when I was doing overnight security and bartending at the same time to make things meet. So I started to see my body, uh, I don't want to say shut down, but it was demanding more and more sleep as I was giving it less and less. And I saw my output decrease. Thankfully, with my energy levels recently restored, thanks to guidance from my good friend Primal Thrive, Blood and Rain books will be out in full force. Not this Thursday, but the next. So, if we're looking at a calendar, which I'm not, uh, today's the 12th, so in one week that'll be the 19th. That'll be the 23rd. So, September 23rd, Blood and Rain Books will be fully returned. I thank you all for your patience. As I mentioned before, the format is one poem per week, one article per week, and one chapter of one short story or a chapter of, no, of a novella every week, just for $5 a month. You'll also be able to pre-order physical copies of the two books that will be coming out by the end of the year, two full-length books. Thank you all for your patience. Thank you all for listening. And thank you all for reading as well. And until next time, brothers, good night and good storms. Thank you.